Welcome to the Drunk Dietitians Podcast, co-hosted by your favorite tipsy registered dietitians, yours truly, Sammy Previtt, co-owner of Dietitians of Palm Valley, and Jenna Warner, owner of Happy Strong Healthy. Us dietitian besties can't stand diet culture bullshit and love keeping it real. Our mission is for all humans to believe that they are made for so much more than chasing a smaller body. We're also here to share with you that food can be fun and pleasurable again. Although we're medical professionals, we are human too. We are not afraid to share our deepest secrets and how years of our lives were taken by diet culture. We started this podcast so no human has to feel alone in their journey towards food freedom. So grab your favorite cocktail and join us for our favorite casual happy hour and expect to laugh, cry, learn, and grow. Cheers. Welcome back to another episode of Drunk Dietitians. Sammy here. And I'm going to be introing this episode, which we were so excited that we could get this guest on today. We had Miss Victoria Garrick, um, who was a former Division I athlete. She was a volleyball player, but she has most recently been known for her kind of TikTok sensation of really covering intuitive eating and body positivity and just truly being such an amazing storyteller. In this episode, she tells her personal story of how she struggled with performance anxiety, depression, body image issues, binge eating disorder. Um, And she is just such an open book. And she knows that sharing her story is going to help so many others. So this episode, I love so, so much because you will just, it is so evident when you hear her speaking, just the gifts that are pouring out of her and how many people she can touch. So if you're looking to fill your news feed, whether it's Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, whatever social media platforms you engage in, if you're looking to fill your feed with some body positivity content with people that are preaching the intuitive eating word um, and that are going to constantly be reminding you to give compassion and empathy to yourself, then you are in the right place. Um, enjoy this episode with Victoria Garrick. It is such a gift, uh, and we will see you on the other side. Welcome back to another episode of Drunk Dietitians. We are so excited for today's guest, a TikTok superstar. Sensation. Um, yes, yeah, sensation, <laughs> I guess, could be the better word. Um, Victoria Garrick, who is a former Division One and semi-pro volleyball player, TED Talk speaker, mental health advocate, self-love enthusiast, and she is deeply passionate about inspiring, supporting, and motivating people from all walks of life. Thank you so much, Victoria, for being here. Thank you for having me. It's funny to hear you say TikTok sensation because (laughs) I've only been on the app for like four or five months, and I feel like you see all these people who are so much bigger, have such bigger platforms, and so you want to just like you, you think you're nothing, right? Unless you're those people, but that's how I found you guys as well. So it's such a small world on the app. 
It's such yeah. a beautiful, like, it's one of those things that, like, you can't hate it, but, like, you have to hate it, but it brings people together, right? Um, it is just so amazing, and I feel like once you get into someone's content, like, I see your face pop up on mine all the time, and it's so yep. amazing, um, which is the nice thing about it. It curates it better. Yeah, <laughs> it literally, it makes you feel like you know the person, because that's what I kept seeing you, Victoria, and I was like, okay, I have to talk to her. <laughs> like, I have to talk to her. So well, we're happy that you're here. Yeah. And I kept seeing your stuff as well because I just, I guess I didn't know that nutritionists, dietitians could be like anti-diet culture <laughs> and like pro-intuitive <laughs> eating and like the nutritionist experiences I've had mm. were positive. Like I have some mm. that I love, but of course, like looking back, a lot of the teachings and things they helped me with like are very rooted in restriction and calorie counting and, um, so, I, you know, it's cool to see a totally different side of that profession on the app, which I didn't know was there before. Yeah, that's awesome. And we might have to dig into that in a bit, yeah. a little deeper. Well, well, Jenna, you go ahead and take it away with our rapid fire. Okay. So I'm going to start with a curated rapid fire question based on some things that I've seen of you. So my first question to you is leftover pizza for lunch or breakfast? lunch okay i feel like i saw you do this one post about like pizza and pairing it with something and then like going it was like the best i really eat pizza it so all hard. the time i like i rarely could say no and also refrigerated pizza like i will take it out of the fridge and pop it in my mouth i don't need that's how i eat it too. my husband eats it for breakfast and so i'm like i wonder if other people do this all right back to normal here now snow or sand snow because you're not near it is that why <laughs> I, I just, and this is so funny and I feel like I'm going to offend people when I say this, but I've never been one of those people that's like, you'll find me at the seashore or like find me at the beach. I mean, that's not me. And I live in LA and I go to the beach once in a while, like to play beach volleyball or to play beach games. But I love skiing. I think I'm just saying this because I love skiing in the past four years as a college athlete, I was not allowed to go skiing because mm -hmm. of injury. So I think if I had to go spend a month in one right now, I would choose snow. That's I love awesome. that. Um, coffee or tea? Neither. I'm so weird. Tea. Neither? Really? That's a great answer. We haven't had yeah, that yet. Yeah, I haven't. Yeah, I have. I'm not on the coffee. I'm really weird about things affecting me. And so it's like, I don't want caffeine because I want to know like where my energy is at normally. And then the tea thing, maybe I'll have chamomile if I feel sick, but. <laughs> so I'm going to skip the question on wine or beer then, because I feel like that's going to be. I would choose wine. Okay. <laughs> now, it's right, still now. normal in some ways. <laughs> so even though we're still kind of quarantine-y, that it makes this question a little bit less real, but would you choose a night out on the town or a Netflix and chill? Netflix and chill, 10 out of 10 times. <laughs> um, all right. Crunchy or smooth peanut butter? Smooth. Oh, all right. You do. I'm team smooth. Last question. If you could have one thing in limitless quantities that's not money, what would it be? Nutella. I love that. That's perfect. So simple. No, no thinking. Just there it is. That's perfect. So many people, so many people like think so long for that answer and you just knew it was perfect. I mean, yeah. How could you say no to that? And limited Nutella. I can have it on everything. When I was diagnosed with my food allergies, I'm allergic to tree nuts. That was the first thing I cried about. I was like, I can't oh, have I like a cereal too. with Nutella in it. Cause you know, they have those like chocolate puff cereals that are like stuffed yeah. with Nutella cried. Okay. Moving on. <laughs> Still grieving that loss. Still, um, 12 years later. Yes. We're fine. <laughs> yes. 
Well, I think a great, I mean, there's so much we want to get into with you, but I would be surprised if any of our listeners don't already know who you are, but if they don't, I would, you know, we would love to create a space right now where if you could just kind of share, and this could be 30 seconds or 15 minutes or 30 minutes, but if you could just kind of share with us, like your story, like your why, and I know you had a Ted talk that went viral, but just how, where you were as a college athlete a few years ago and to where you're at right now and all that's happened in between. I joke that I've had like so many problems, like so many mental health challenges that I'm like, I, I could go in so many different ways, but I guess I'll like in a nutshell, give you my story. I'll keep it short because it'll be more fun if you guys can pry and we can like dive into what you think will be fun. But long story short, in high school, I was just like super happy, super blessed life. Um, very cautious about my body, wanted to be skinny, pretty popular, all the things most girls want to be in high school. Um, I also played volleyball. And I ended up getting an opportunity to walk on to the USC volleyball team, which is my dream opportunity. So I committed, but with the understanding there's no scholarship money. So that makes you a recruited walk on. It's fairly common. Um, I think the idea that there's a million full rides out there, it's not real. Um, but regardless, it was my dream opportunity and like my dream school. And out of high school, this was like everything I'd wanted. And like I said, I'd never really battled or struggled with anything. I was definitely like a disordered eater, but you know, I thought it was normal. I was like, oh, like counting my calories is normal. Like measuring myself and weighing myself every day is normal. Like I, it was like the, the line where you kind of are like everyone else because that's how kind of toxic mm -hmm. the environment and culture is around body image that I thought I was just like any other girl who was 17. So I got to college and it was a absolute uh, dream because I'd always wanted to play in the Pac-12, especially at USC, but the pressure and the stress of that lifestyle was so overwhelming and I just had no idea um, what it truly took to be on the number one team in the country and have hundreds of people watch your games and have a really rigorous academic schedule and be in a new environment and have your body be changing and you fear the freshman 15. And so I started to develop like in the order, it was basically like performance anxiety, which led to like my binge eating because food became that outlet for my stress. Um, and then in dealing with kind of that anxiety and the binging for a full year, my sophomore year, I just kind of like fell to a depression, just a state of like for the past year, I've been so unwell and also wasn't really talking to anyone about it and feeling like I had to look like I was that USC volleyball player in Los Angeles who was living her dream. And I wanted everyone in my hometown to think I was happy. And, um, you know, so I really struggled with letting people know what I was going through. But then as I started to kind of catch on to the fact that a lot of people felt the same way, like a lot of girls on my team also did not have great mental health. And a lot of people at USC, especially I could see struggled with their image and their appearance because of the pressure, like especially in LA. And I'm a very outgoing person. I was a journalism major. So I love storytelling. I love talking, being in front of, I was a journalism major. So being in front of a camera, none of that stuff uh, scared me. And when I realized that this conversation about mental health needed so much attention, I uh, applied to give that TED talk. And 
there's also a long story there. Like there's so I've changed <laughs> over so much stuff. But like I said, I'll let you guys choose what you want to dive into. I gave that TED talk and the reaction was incredible and it kind of catapulted me to the platform I have now because I realized, um, wow, like people care about this. They want to hear more. And trust me, I have way more than 15 minutes that you saw in this YouTube video. So I started posting, started sharing more. Um, which led to me going and speaking at different schools and giving a different variation of my story in the TED talk and building my platforms. And um, here we are now. Um, it's wild. I did not think I would be doing something like this full time. I never thought I would be the girl admitting all of my insecurities because I was so obsessed with portraying this perfect lifestyle. But all my secrets are online. And <laughs> Yeah. It's, and now my, I guess you said, what was your why? And I think my why is just that passion to make sure no one feels as alone as I did or as kind of ashamed and confused in the system they were in as I did. And so I hope to create and tell stories that comfort others and let them know that they are not alone. Was that TED Talk during while you were still in school? Yeah, I was a sophomore. That's amazing. I was, I was 19 and I remember being like, I hope the chills. That, <laughs> I, I remember being like, I hope that the, I think the TED talk was like two weeks before my 20th birthday. And I was like, this is kind of cool because I could say I was a teenager. <laughs> That's awesome. And yeah. when as well, I would love, I don't think this is in what got sent over, but I saw it on your social media the other day that you were referenced in Kobe Bryant's book, um, mm. Geese Are Never Swans, um, as a, so I guess as a resource, right, yeah, for athletes foundation. that struggle with mental health. So could you just kind of share that connection there and, yeah. and what came to light there? So my TED Talk is titled The Hidden Opponent, and it kind of references this invisible competitor we face as athletes. Um, and after kind of visiting these universities and speaking, I saw just how many student athletes felt the same way as me. And it's so much bigger than my story. There's thousands and thousands of athletes that feel the same way. So I founded a nonprofit in October called The Hidden Opponent. And um, it serves to provide a platform for student athletes to share their stories, as well as a community and a support system where we can connect on our Facebook group, on the Instagram and, and have that. So um, that was just kind of starting. And at the same time, I had been great to meet Kobe at USC. And from there, we started chatting, developing a friendship, and he was interested in what this hidden opponent was going to be. And, um, I met with him. He said he wanted to get involved with it. And at the time he was already working on this book. Um, and, while our, our relationship was just, you know, starting, I'm so grateful for just that small time I did have with him and his belief in the nonprofit. And then recently, you know, his Kobe Inc. reached out and said, you know, we want to include the hidden opponent resource in his new book. And it's a huge honor and I've been just helping out with uh, promoting the book so it can get in the hands of as many athletes as possible. That's amazing. I have like tears forming in my I eyes know. just hearing <laughs> that and chills and I can't imagine what this has been like for you throughout this whole whole process. So, yeah, I'm grateful though that the hidden opponent has become what it has. We have an incredible team of other student athletes who volunteer their time to make it what it is, and um, it's just incredible. And there's so many people working on it behind the scenes, and now there's so many athletes who have come. So we're just really excited about it. Do you find that the hidden opponent is being 
is helpful in allowing athletes that you've either, either spoken to or have reached out to to have like their only outlet for mental health? Or do you see that maybe more universities are adding in some of these support systems for their athletes? I know we kind of talked before this started that like nutrition's always pushed down athletes' throats, right? Maybe not always in the best way, but is the mental health aspect being supported now with this push? There's a long way to go. Um, just in general, the physical health of athletes is the priority. Almost every team has a, an athletic trainer who's there to tape, bandage, take care of bruises, cuts, whatever the breaks are. But there's not the same accessibility nor attention on the invisible injuries. So it's a big thing that needs attention, needs change. And that's why it is important to you know, raise the awareness. And that's why the hidden opponent, we focus strictly on student athlete mental health. Yes. And I think amazing. that's so amazing. Cause I mean, one in three athletes have an eating disorder. And mm-hmm. as someone who worked under a dietitian at Penn state with the 31 varsity teams and how many coaches were looking at cross country and gymnastics girls saying you need to lose 5% body fat when they already didn't have their period. Um, and they were coming to us as the nutrition interns to say, how do I lose more weight? And we were like, uh, no, like (laughs) that's not what we're doing. There's just such there's a paradigm shift that needs to happen. Just like in the nutrition field, how a lot of, like you said, I would love to hear, I would love to dig deeper into your experience with other dietitians, because as Jenna and I very openly share our stories of being dietitians who were taught in diet culture and having to make this shift and this jump and this paradigm shifting to intuitive eating, um, it can be so harmful. And especially with, with athletes who are, their body is their temple and it's their it's a piece of the equipment on the field, right? You can't do anything without your body and it has to be taken care of, including the brain. And especially at those top universities like Penn State and I went to USC, the hierarchy, the person at the top of the totem pole is the coach, the head coach. And the reason there are so many issues is because the head coach has in their mind, which not to stereotype, but most of the time is pretty old fashioned is the body type of what this athlete should look like, or Mm -hmm. this athlete should look like so-and-so who represented us in the Olympics, like must look this certain way. And they don't know anything about the percentage, what's healthy for them. Um, They just want the look. And then they tell that to the player. They tell the trainers and nutritionists who most of the time are under some umbrella where the coach is also their boss. And then they're in this position of, I'm supposed to do what the coach says. Like I've seen many instances where from an athletic trainer standpoint, the trainer is like, she can't play today. And the coach is just livid. Like we need her to play. And the athletic trainer has to say no. And then the coach doesn't like the athletic trainer because the athletic trainer is keeping the the best players out for health reasons. And so there's all of this political, um, so there's so much politics that goes into these issues and you know, it's, it's what causes a big problem. And a lot, especially with the athletes and the disordered eating, it's a big issue and it can be really hard on your own body image journey to navigate that when you have a day, every day you're weighing in on a scale and someone's recording it. The person who's putting you in a lineup is recording it is a lot of pressure. 
Did you watch the Netflix documentary Cheer? Is that like, oh, yes. Okay. (laughs) I feel like that was like the first level of exposing some of this in like a time where, I mean, it came out, I think for the most part, it was widely seen, you know, during COVID when everyone was home binging it, right? Um, And I think it exposed a lot of some of those conversations that maybe some people just don't know are happening. I think that was a great representation of the intensity of the environment you're in when you're trying to win a national championship. And just specifically in the sense of like the players saying they don't want to get injured because they want to play. They don't want to sit out when they're tired. They don't want to admit there's a problem with them. And um, at the same time, you weirdly fall in love with Monica and you fall in love with the team. And so part of you understands like why they have to go that hard But as you watch it, you think about like what these athletes are putting their bodies through every single day. And, you know, I was just, I'm glad that that is out there so people can understand what athletes are, are going through to reach these trophies. Yeah. Did you guys also watch athlete a? That's on my list. (laughs) Yes. I mean, that of course is more so like about the sexual harassment and these, amazing gymnasts who have undergone so much trauma from a very sick man but it also does a good representation of showing them like like basically the abuse verbally you know physical and what they were Mm -hmm. told they had to look like and how they were performing in the olympics on like broken ankles and but they like wanted to do it because they wanted to be there and that athlete in them but also it was like they had to because of like you said that hierarchy yeah and just even like Maggie Nichols, like she, her whole life was dedicated to getting on the Olympic roster. And the one time she spoke out and said, something's wrong. No one knows, no one questions, but she's off the team Mm -hmm. and that's her life. And so a lot of these athletes have, have, have done everything they can to get on these teams. And then if what's keeping you from playing or not playing is losing 10 pounds or just doing what the coach tells you to do, most young, impressionable 19, 20-year-olds are going to do what they need to do to abide by authority. Yes. Yes. And so I would love if you, I know you said you're an open book. You gave us full, <laughs> full reign on this podcast. I would love to dig deeper because, you know, our our platform is about dietitians and nutrition and if you don't mind kind of sharing with us, you said your, your binge eating during college kind of became your outlet for some of your, your anxiety around performance. So how did, what, how did that start? When did you really recognize it became an issue and, and how did you get to full recovery? Freshman year of high school, I think maybe even in eighth grade, like I can, it's weird. I can remember in seventh or eighth grade putting an alarm on my phone that went off at three o'clock p.m that said don't eat and it was just my reminder of like when school ends at three o'clock we're not having a snack we're gonna wait till dinner and so like from a very young age I was cautious of like limiting what I ate and freshman year I went to a nutritionist I think I just asked my mom I said like I want to lose weight or I want to I don't, I really don't remember why I think it was like, I want to learn how food works, protein, carbs, all that stuff. And so I met with the nutritionist and it's funny because like, I still keep in touch with her. I think I love her as a person, but looking back on like some of the things I had learned once again, like who knows if she's even aware of what she's doing or it's just what she was trained to say. And one of the things she told me, and I, I don't want to, 
it's tough because I don't want to give exact numbers and details because I know it can be triggering and I know that can be used as a, a, a weapon for someone else. Do people usually share that? Because I'm happy to share, but I am not cautious of if I give a thing I used to do, someone might use that you could, thing. You could say like X amount or like you can, yeah. if you don't want to use the number or, but just kind of give a general yeah. rule that you follow. Okay. I'll, I'll do that. I just remembered her telling me like a good gauge for how much you should weigh is take your height like you guys probably know. And if you hit this number, you're already at a hundred and now like multiply blank for each inch or something like that. And just once I learned that I was always like, how tall am I? And then what's my thing? And this metric was severely underweight. Um, it was like probably 15 to 20 pounds lighter than what I was at my height at that time. And I was always a lean girl. So just that's an example of like a, a casual thing she told me that that stuck with me. And then it was like, in me wanting to lose weight, whether it was like one and a half to two pounds a week, going through like what the calories were that I needed to eat. Um, I just remember like keeping my chart on the fridge and um, writing in like breakfast, lunch, dinner. I mean, just like the tablespoon of the dressing I was bringing I saw to your school. post like, the other day. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> everything was measured. Like the fact that I was putting a balsamic vinaigrette on my salad and I had to measure if it was going to be like 60 or 75 calories is just ridiculous looking back on it like just pour on the amount you want but I was so calculated but for some reason I was able to do that and not pass like a threshold for an eating disorder or not go completely wild um I was just able to do it of course I had times I like caved or I couldn't have willpower but it was just like, get right back on track the next day. However, when I got to school and I felt really good, I was like, I know how to count my calories. I know what my goal weight is and I know what not and what to eat. Then I got to school and freshman year at USC, I remember meeting with the nutritionist and her being like, okay, like, do you want me to go over to plan? And I was like, nope, I know. Like I have already seen nutritionists. I know everything. I'm fine. And I like, didn't want to start a relationship with a new nutritionist there because I felt really good about my body and what I did. And then start living your life. I start training for three and a half hours to four hours a day. I start getting fed the protein, the carbs, the smoothies they're making you. Um, I'm also in just a new environment. I'm obviously drinking alcohol. I'm a freshman. There's a lot of calories there. Um, there's just new food. You're going out and you're drunk eating after parties. The whole environment is different. And not to mention the team is now training me to develop like insane muscle on my body that I'd never had before. And it was almost like I zoomed in five weeks into school and was like, I've literally gained 15, the 15, 20 pounds that I was dreading gaining. Most of it was muscle. A lot, some of it was fat too. And when that happened, I thought, okay, like no, no biggie. I'll just lose the weight. I'll just get my calorie count out. I know what to do. I can do this. And I made my little chart, but this time was different because I now had the stress and pressure of being a division one athlete. I wasn't with my family. I'm not having my mom steam me green beans for my diet. Like there's a cafeteria. My roommates are buying chips and junk food and it was much harder to abide by my diet. And as a result, that guilt and shame and get back on track got more severe each time. And so the restricting got more severe and the caving got more severe. And then the restriction was not eating anything and the caving became a binge. And so that's gradually how my cycle occurred. Um, and food was definitely like this comfort of, 
I'm so stressed. I'm so overwhelmed. This is the one thing I'm not allowed to have. And I'm so upset with how my body looks. I'm just going to eat and cry um, in my bed. And that is where the cycle took me. And at the time, sorry, I feel like I've been talking for so long time. At the time I just felt, um, you know, it was, I was so ashamed, um, just binging in general, you just feel gluttonous. That's a sin in the Bible. I went to a Catholic school, like gluttony is a sin. And here I am just binging all this food thinking I'm disgusting. Um, and when no one's, when you hide something from someone, when you do something in secrecy, you're basically telling yourself, I'm not worthy of love. If someone knew I did this, and I did not feel worthy of anything um, because of my eating habits that I did in secrecy. Wow. Thank, Thank you, you for, for sharing all that. Yeah. Jinx. <laughs> yes. I mean, it's, it, but I think it's important to share with people because what you're saying to us, Victoria, like Jenna and I hear all of the time, like that is such a normal thing. And it, it that that eating experience, that restriction and binging, as much as it felt like you weren't worthy, like that was a coping mechanism that saved you and got your body through some really, really, really tough times. Because if we didn't have that coping mechanism of food, like where would we have turned? Like what, what would have been that thing? Right. Now, of mm. course we want to develop the, the mental health, um, you know, muscles to, to be able to cope. And that's what you've clearly done. So once, when did you seek help for that or how did that, what did that look like for you? My freshman year, especially in the spring towards the like season, obviously peaking in the spring was like where the binging was at its worst. And um, I remember not telling anyone it's, it's like some stuff is a blur and I don't know if my mind has like wanted to just bark it off or yeah. what, but I remember the binging being really bad freshman spring. And I ended up calling like one of the nutritionists helpers who like, I really got close with. And I just called her crying and saying like, what was wrong? She had already left the program. So I don't know what had happened there. I, th- I think she told me to go see our nutritionist um, and was totally compassionate and supportive. And so I ended up going and the nutritionist basically, and she was the sweetest too. Like I just didn't want to work with her because I thought I knew everything, right? Every 18 year old thinks they know everything. And um, she basically talked me through like, it sounds like this is like the uh, symptoms of a binge eating disorder. Like it sounds like, you know, you're emotionally eating and, um, basically kind of had me sign something that said she could work with me to help me. And it just felt like this big day of there's a huge problem with me and now it's official. There's paperwork. Someone knows about it. And I just felt like I'd lost in some way. There is this element of like control with your body and the numbers and food. And at this point in time, I thought, how could I have gotten to this point where I need someone else to help me and that I now have this term attached to me? Um, And it was really scary. I just remember crying. Um, But then it's like, I remember sophomore year, I hadn't told my mom or I ended up telling, oh, this is funny. I ended up, my mom came and visited me and we were like getting food at this place. And I was in a really dark place. Like my mental health in general was low. And then the eating thing was like, the worst. Um, and I was like, mom, I have to tell you something. And I like started to cry. And she was like, what? And I was like, 
um, I need to tell you something. And she goes, are you pregnant? And I go, <laughs> no, I go, I'm not pregnant. And then in that moment, I was like, okay, that makes me feel a little better because this is not as bad as telling you're pregnant. <laughs> and I was like, I have an eating disorder problem. And I like try, and it's like, you try to explain what binging is to someone and you just can't like, cause everyone's like, oh, I break my diet. Oh, I've eaten junk food. And I'm like, no, it's eating like, 3,000 calories, your whole cabinet. Like, it's not a cute break the diet. And so I told my mom, and my mom ended up um, getting me a book called Breaking Free from Emotional Eating by Janine Roth. I'm not sure if you guys are familiar with Janine, mm -hmm. but she's like my intuitive eating guru. Her book, this book, like, changed my life. And my mom got it for me. I was mortified to read a book called breaking free from emotional eating. I duct taped the cover. I was like, I'm not just going to read this book and people are going to see like breaking free from emotional eating. It sounds like I'm a psycho. And so I duct taped the cover. I was just reading this book in secrecy and I just felt like everything I was learning and the book centers around emotional eating specifically and the practice of intuitive eating. Mm -hmm. And it was just as a girl who had been so by the book of calorie counting and restricting since seventh grade to, to have a question posed to me of, it doesn't matter how many calories are in an egg white. Do you want an egg white? I was like, do I want it? Am I hungry? Like all these questions I've never asked myself before. And I started to learn, like, I don't have to eat when it's lunchtime. I can just eat when I'm hungry to have my, my middle meal. And so I just was blown away and I had this huge epiphany. And I'm someone who I'm a very, like, if you lay out how I can get to this goal and you give me the steps, I'm getting there. So to me, it was like, here's this book of food freedom. And I've been so sick of this for years. How do I do this? And so, you know, I practiced the guidelines and I, and I worked really hard on it. And I remember the first day I felt like I had a breakthrough was when I got home from work and I, an internship and I opened my backpack and I saw a power bar. I saw a power bar and I thought, oh my gosh, I had food on me all day and I didn't know because the old me would have been like, there's a bar in my bag, there's a bar in my bag, there's calories in the bar, there's calories in the bar, when can I eat the bar, when can I eat the bar, like all day long, uh, don't eat the bar, don't eat the bar. And I got home and thought I had food on me the whole day and I forgot. And I remember just like, that was like my big victory. I could not believe I forgot I had food <laughs> on me. Um, and so from there, like my intuitive eating journey has since gotten stronger and um, it's, it's the best thing. And I like preach it to anyone who's ever struggled <laughs> with food. Yes. This needs to be the clip that's shared like on social media of our actual faces because the smiles that are covering mine and Sam's mouth right yeah. now, like, yes. like, because what you just described that moment, like that is so powerful. And I am 100% positive that our, all of our listeners have either had that moment or are waiting for that moment oh. and to hear your story of knowing that it comes down to a choice. Like, what do I want? And like, and you never so think it's going to be you. You never, I was like, I will never go to a Mexican restaurant and not obsess over it. Can I eat the chips and guac at the appetizer? Like, I will never be that girl. I will never be the person who doesn't know what's in my pantry and who needs to not have junk food in the house. And now I'm the person that I have food all around me. Actually, the way I stay sane is I've had this bag of <laughs> chips. I've had this bag of those. chips on my desk for three months. My boyfriend, these are my favorite. He picked them up for me at the gas station. 
I haven't craved flaming hot munchies in three months, but just knowing I have it here and I can have it when I want it keeps me sane. And so I just, I never thought I'd be the person who would get a bag of chips and not eat it that exact day. So yeah, to people listening, it is possible. It can be you. (laughs) So not only are you making like so much movement and waves and change in the athlete world, but you know how we found you social media. I mean, your TikTok, which everybody will learn how to find you soon. Your TikTok is legitimately a book for people for body positivity. The way you respond to trolls is like so inspiring. It makes me laugh. Um, And the way you just call out the BS and the things that most people are feeling that is not in your face on that app. Like the things that go viral on that app are putting cinnamon and hot water and telling somebody that that's all they can eat in a day, right? Like these messages are much harder to go viral and you have because you're relatable and you're teaching and preaching your story. And so, you know, from that perspective, can you share like what inspires you when you make these 15 second videos? (laughs) Well, it's funny because the binging was the last thing I ever came forward about publicly. Like even when I gave my TED talk, I alluded to having uh, body image problems like with my Instagram, but nowhere was I saying the word binge eating. And I remember I even did like my first feature interview I ever did about food. Um, and I opened up when the article came out, I just like freaked out. And I thought, this is too much, like this label, like, I don't want anyone to know about this, the depression, anxiety, that's fine, but this, no. And so I've just kind of, I think that's important to know is like how hard that was for me, even as someone whose life is online, like the eating issues were the very last thing I was able to be okay sharing. But now, you know, looking at what I do share, sometimes I'll have moments where I'm like, I call my best friend, my two best friends who have known me, my two best friends were on every fad diet with me as well. So it's like now to still be best friends with them. And like, just the, we, oh my God, we did some crazy stuff. Let me tell you this. <laughs> I talked to this. One of my best friends and I one time purposely took horrible, ugly pictures of each other. Like we, we, we forced each other to take another picture. We gave it to the other and said, if you don't lose 15 pounds by this date, the other person's posting this picture. That is how <laughs> crazy we were about losing weight. And now I joke with her. I'm like, this was the picture you would have threatened. We would have threatened to post. And now I just post it. And I talk about like how how it's okay to look this way. And so it's just funny, like being full circle with how much you can change your perspective on body image. But in terms of the TikTok, you know, I was really grateful for this application because for such a long time, I was this volleyball player and that's how people saw me. And yes, I advocated for mental health, but it was the volleyball player that advocates for these things, not just me. And so when I started on the app, I remember thinking, I'm going to resist posting volleyball content while I build this platform because I want to become something more. Like I'm 23. I've been out of school for a year. I'm not on a team anymore. Like there's more to me than sport. And Mm -hmm. it's wild because now there's this whole army of supporters who know me as a body image, intuitive eating person, and then come to my Instagram and are like, you played volleyball? (laughs) And that's I, how I was when I found you. I thought you were a child actress. <laughs> <laughs> that is so funny. I and so I love that because now I feel like you know I struggled with can I keep my platform going when I don't play volleyball anymore? And then to have this opportunity to build out a new platform under like a new persona, which is very much a part of me, but with detaching it from sport has been great. And so you know, that's kind of what inspired me to create videos all surrounding body image and eating and 
um, the platform has been just such a blessing. I love TikTok. It's awesome. hard not to sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> but I think that's awesome that you have like both of those facets. Cause I mean, every single person has to eat food all day long and everybody has to live in their body. Right. So we're gonna, we, yeah. So pretty much everyone needs to hear this message. I posted that the other day from, um, the lovely becoming on Instagram. She had a quote that was like, people, need to do the anti-diet work that don't have eating disorders. Like it's mm -hmm. not just if you had an eating disorder, right? Because we live in the $72 billion diet industry that it's just right. like you said earlier, your high school early before the binge eating occurred, you had all these disordered eating behaviors that were air quotes normal and probably like glorified by some people thinking like, right. Oh, good for you. You count your calories, you know, or just like Victoria's secret models being my phone screensaver. Wasn't mm -hmm. like a double take from someone. It was, Oh, motivation. Thinspo. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And so, but I love that you have, you know, you're, you're really tapping into the intuitive eating body positivity space, but then also there's so many athletes that struggle as you know, right. With <laughs> once you're retiring from your sport, like, what is your purpose, right? right? What is your body? What is, and I, I have a few clients that I actually work with that are retired D1 athletes that when I told them that I was interviewing you, they're like, oh my God, I can't wait. <laughs> and because they follow both of us and they love your personal story with the intuitive eating realm and how that fits together. So I think, yeah. I think it's a wonderful like marriage of the two. Navigating the student athlete life as an intuitive eater was difficult as well. And like, I did that for two years because junior and senior year, I was intuitive eating and it's difficult because oftentimes you don't have the luxury to decide what you want to eat. There's a menu provided to you and you have three options and you have to choose one. Um, or for me, like any sort of restriction is a trigger. So for a coach to say, go to the breakfast buffet, but no one can have muffins. I don't care if I wanted one or not, but for you to tell me I can't have a muffin is a trigger. And I need to know that I can have a muffin if I want to have a muffin because I'm a human being and I can make my own choice. And, and I can so, have a freaking muffin. <laughs> yeah. And so navigating that stuff is difficult. And, you know, when I think of like current or former D1 athletes, um, I, I think of those challenges. Yeah. Did your performance change when you were fueling more sufficiently um, in those last two years? I mean, I'm sure you're always incredible, but did you feel any of that? <laughs> um, I think I just felt like the, the thing that was gone was just feeling like one time I binged seven Krispy Kreme donuts before a morning practice, seven, like, and the feeling in my stomach, that whole practice was, I want to puke and I'm going to explode. And it's like, when I was able to have one donut because I knew I could have one, I avoided that feeling of feeling bloated and disgusting in my own skin. And so I think with my upperclassmen years, I just always was able to make sure my body felt good. And that's what we want to think about when we eat food is not the calories and not if it's a bad food or a good food, but how do I want to feel? And naturally as an athlete that wants to play well, like I bet that my plate before a game looked pretty similar to the other girls who were maybe trying to focus on the protein portion, the carbs or whatnot. But mine was just that natural, like my body wants protein. It needs carbs for energy. Maybe I need a little bit of, I love vegetables. So I think there's also this misconception that intuitive eating is just lifting the gates to eat shit every single second of the day. Yep. Amen. And it's not like I, people would, I'm still a very 
I would, and I, I like to use the word nutritious because I think mm-hmm. healthy can be toxic. Mm-hmm. Honestly, like I saw this yes. quote the other day that was incredible. And it said, it was from this Instagram called your fat friend. It's an incredible fat phobia so account. Good. Do you follow? Mm-hmm. So good. And it said, <laughs> we have replaced a beauty standard with a health standard that is just as impossible, relentless and crippling, something like that. And I totally agree. People will say, oh, you don't have to be skinny anymore. We include all bodies, but only eat kale, never eat processed foods and don't eat sugar. And so it's just as hard. And, um, you know, I do crave things that make my body feel good. Since I've been an intuitive eater, I haven't eaten an Oreo because they make me feel nauseous. There's this, the cookie does. Um, but there's other things I do love to eat. So, you know, as an athlete in those upperclassmen years, I was focusing on how to make my body feel best for performance as opposed to what is going to make my body look thinner for performance. Huge. That was a perfect answer. (laughs) Yeah. Focusing on the physical, the physical feeling of feeling pleasant. And I think that's what can be hard. I just want to go back to one thing you said, you had said like when you ate the seven donuts, it can feel disgusting for anybody listening, I know you didn't mean like, if you eat seven donuts, you're disgusting. I know that wasn't your intention whatsoever. Um, but I think it's important to recognize like if there is binging going on like that, if anybody can relate to this, what happens when we, we binge typically is we'll have a physical unpleasantness, right? That physical feeling and we'll couple it with the emotional unpleasantness, right? How could you eat that? You're just so disgusting. Why can't you, know, why can't you just eat one? So being able to remove that emotional unpleasantness from the physical and then say, okay, what can I do that's going to make me feel physically pleasant? Because at the end of the day, that's all we want. Yeah. People. And on, on, on that, I, two thoughts. The first one is, yes, I definitely meant I physically felt disgusting. Like mm-hmm. thinking about having seven donuts in a span of 15 minutes and, and then, then playing sprinting. for two and half hours. <laughs> and then sprinting oh around. <laughs> I mean, it was, yeah, it was a feeling of like, I'm going to throw up on the court. Um, but yes. And another thing I just thought of was, I still have times where I make a choice of, about food that first maybe wasn't totally the exact choice I wanted to make or my body needed yes. me to make. And like the other day, I really, or this was not the other day, like a few months ago in quarantine, but everything in quarantine feels like the other day. Yesterday. I, my dad <laughs> had these sliders in the freezer. Like, I think they're like White Castle. They're, they, were, they did not look good, but for some reason I really <laughs> wanted one. And I made myself one and I started eating it and I was thinking this doesn't taste that good, but I kept eating it. And then when I finished, I realized, and usually I'm good to be like, "Mm, I'm going to stop eating halfway and get something that makes me feel good. But this time I didn't. And I finished it. And afterwards I felt that similar feeling of just, "Mm, I ate something that doesn't make me feel good and it didn't even taste good. And I'm really not happy with that choice. But all I can do in that moment is say, okay, next time when I bite something and I can sense in the beginning, I don't like the taste. I'm going to remember this moment and think about how made my body feel and then make a choice where I've learned, um, hopefully to do something differently and removing, right. That guilt and that shame of, yeah. I can't believe you like cast. I can't believe blah, blah, blah. It's just, huh, this did not make me feel great. <laughs> Next time I'm going to use this so I can make a better choice. Cool. Oh, Move that. on. We're going to live with it. Yes. <laughs> Every, There's two things I love about that. <laughs> yeah. Every eating experience is a learning experience. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. really all it is at the end of the day. And I also love that you said White Castle because I thought that was just a New Jersey thing. But is it in California too? My dad 
has like his weird food likes and one of them is those like white castle sliders so my, my grandpa like, honey got you that. your slider yeah. <laughs> so my grandpa was all about that life for so long but i want to just call attention to that what you just shared you've also shared um on social media also that recovery is a lifelong journey and mm -hmm. so that these experiences are different now for you because you're on a different side of it but you're still consistently in recovery and i think for many of us and i'll include myself in this bucket like recovery from diet culture is a thing also right like that's very real and so when you can look at it from the lens of being the experiential learner that you've become it becomes an experience that's just part of your recovery instead of a moment in time that disrupts other things. So mm -hmm. super happy for you and so grateful for this conversation. I had like a list of other questions I wanted to ask you. So can you come back for part two? No, just kidding. <laughs> yeah, you can yeah. ask me. Flew yeah. <laughs> by. I know. I know. But <laughs> so signing off for today's episode, if you could like, this is a really hard question to ask, but if you could have like one thought that's going to stick with our listeners, one thing you really want them to remember their nutrition tipsy of the day, what would it be? Hmm, let me take a second. I want Nutella this so fast. <laughs> um, one thing. I would say that self-compassion is so important. And I know some people might be rolling their eyes like, oh, we've heard this one, but let me just, let me just detail it a little bit more. It's not just like, oh, let me be nice to myself. It's actually taking a moment when the jeans don't fit, when you eat something you don't like, when the number on the scale is not what you want, when you relapse in your disorder and you say to yourself, this has been really hard for me for a really long time. And I've really faced big challenges with this. So I understand why today I'm having these thoughts or these old emotions are coming back up. It's okay. I understand why I'm having those feelings and I'm just going to love myself and I'm going to give space for those feelings. That is self-compassion. And I've, I have those moments um, and you have to like let them surface where I see a bagel and I think the calories and I have to remind myself why that happened and acknowledge where I've come to be even aware of the awareness of that thought. Mm -hmm. So self-compassion would be my tip and um, really absorbing what that really means aside from just that buzzword of be nice to yourself. I feel like sometimes I forget that there's negativity out there when like we're in these conversations and like my feed is full of yous and yeah. you know all of the people sharing the same message that like if the rest of the world can get that feeling from listening to this it's just going to be a better and better place. Thank I you think that, that all the time. I'm like, you guys just curate a better feed. If I went to my popular page, you would not find one picture of a girl in a bikini because I don't engage Maybe. with that content. Mm -hmm. And I, it's just, it, it's, we have so much power in what we consume on our platform. So that's a good yeah. point as well. That's awesome. So for anybody listening, if they don't already follow you, where can they most easily find you, Victoria? You can find me on Instagram at Victoria Garrick and, um, in the link in my bio, there's my podcast, YouTube, TikTok, all that fun stuff. Perfect. Well, thank you for being here. Thank you both for having me. Thank you for all these gems. You are amazing. <laughs>
Guys, thank you so much for listening and being here with us. I am virtually cheersing all of you. We absolutely love sipping on a cocktail with you and sharing as many nutrition tipsies as possible during this episode. We know there are a ton of pods out there, and we are so appreciative of your time that you spent listening to us today. Please be sure to check out the show notes for episode details and all of our guest information. We promise to keep bringing you the best and the most knowledgeable and fun guests we possibly can. Please be sure to subscribe, like, share, and post if you enjoyed our content today. And visit us on Instagram and Facebook at Drunk Dietitians to find out what is up next for us on the pod. We absolutely love you. We appreciate you and can't wait to spend more time cheersing with you soon.